Listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. I'm going to start it off a little different today. Boom, we've been fed by Ravens. Yeah, we have. The Word of God, but also uh, we got a microphone. So Woo-hoo. the quality of this podcast just went up <laughs> for free. It's been given to us. And so, yeah, that's great. Start doing what you love and see what happens. And see what happens. God provides. And we're catching up. If you've been following us, you are on day 23 and 24 of reading through the Bible in a year. We're almost done with our first month. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And uh, we're glad you're following along with us. Let's get right into it. Chapter 45 of Genesis. We're following the life of Jacob. He's the patriarch. Right. He's now named Israel. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're following his son, Joseph. Yes. His, his real son, his favorite son, even though it was number 10. Was number 10? Yeah. Yeah, number 10, yeah. but firstborn of Rachel. Right. And so uh, Joseph is in Egypt. He's risen to basically the top position in all of Egypt. He is carried out the dream of, uh, of Pharaoh, which was five years. Seven. Seven years, sorry. Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. We've gone about two years into the famine. We are two years in. And Joseph finally reveals, he says, he can't contain himself anymore. He sees Benjamin, they're all coming back. He sees the change of heart and he says, I'm your brother. And in the very same verse, he says, I'm your brother Joseph. Is dad still alive? Which I think is really great. Mm -hmm. He's like, don't be scared. Um, Because you know, when they hear he's Joseph, they're thinking, Oh man, uh, we tried to kill you yeah. and separate you from your father so we could steal your blessing because we hated that you were blessed. Kind of reminds me of when Peter runs into the resurrected Jesus and Jesus uh, says, do yeah. you love me? Yeah. And the feeling is you have a moment of, uh, oh no. And the brothers have that moment and Jake, uh, Joseph says, you know, don't be scared guys. It's like what Jesus says, peace, peace be with you. Don't be scared. Uh, I love you. Yeah, there's this real level of maturity and uh, forgiveness within Joseph and his recognition that he is in Egypt, like him being in Egypt is a work of God and that this was ordained by God for him to be there so that he could actually save his brothers and save the family of Israel. And that's why in verse 7 and 8 is really where it says of chapter 45, he, uh, Joseph says, look, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. There's always this relationship with the earth mm-hmm. and to keep alive for you many survivors. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And uh, it was God who rules the world. God who's orchestrating all these things and keeping his promise, even though it's been over 20 years. Yeah, uh, 22 years at this 22 point. 22 years. And, uh, and, and it is at this point, finally, Joseph's dream of his brothers bowing down to him comes true. They bow down. They recognize um, they're at the, they're really um, under the authority of their little brother who has been alive this whole time. And then Joseph says, now go back and tell dad. So that was probably a fun trip back. Like, oh man, <laughs> let's just, how do we figure out how to tell dad we killed his favorite son? Right. And uh, we tried to. And apparently they just decide after, I'm, I'm sure it takes many weeks to travel, um, they get back and they just rip the bandaid off 
and they say, uh, hey, dad, turns out that guy who asked all those questions in Egypt, who's saving our lives right now, it's Joseph. And it's interesting because it, it says that Jacob at first didn't want to believe them. Right. He's like, like he's enough. mourned for so long, for 22 years now, that his heart is hardened. But then they start to show him everything that Joseph sent back with them and like the wagons because Joseph sent them wagons because he's like, come live with me. I will take care of you. I will give you a land. You'll have it all to yourself. Here's wagons so you don't have to walk. Here's all the stuff, all the food. Dude, here's how much Jacob is like kind of sickened by these, these grown men now who are his boys. Yes. They say, Joseph is alive and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And it says his heart became numb. He's just like, oh, you guys, like, I'm totally <laughs> numb to you and your stories. I, I, I can't believe it. But then you're right. He sees all the proof. He's like, no way. And then it says at the end of 45, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Jacob is happy. And he is going to go down. And they have no choice now because famine, yeah. water, there's no water on the earth. We go from flood of Noah to now famine that's going all over the known world. And the only place to go is down to Egypt because God has prepared Egypt. And for the sake of one man, Joseph, there is uh, salvation for the whole world. Mm-hmm. So chapter 46. So yeah, uh, Israel begins the journey to Egypt. And on the way, they stop at Beersheba where Abraham had set up an altar previously and offered sacrifices. And that's where God reaffirmed his covenant with Isaac, Jacob's dad. And so Israel, Jacob, does the same thing. He, he goes probably to the same altar that Abraham set up, yeah. offers sacrifices, and then God does what he normally does with Jacob and shows up to him in a vision or dreams. And he says here, uh, no, he says, Jacob, it is God. Mm-hmm. I'm the God of your father. Do not be afraid. So whenever God shows up, he announces who he is. He then says, don't be afraid because it's a fearful thing. And uh, then he promises that I'll be with you. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. And do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. There's the nation promise. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. So these are all the promises to Abraham, to Isaac. It's to be with you. It's to uh, bless you as a people and nation and return you to a land of promise and then this is special for you, Jacob. You're going to die in Egypt. Your, your boy, Joseph, will close your eyes. And so Jacob then says what all the patriarchs say and what is a good place for us, a good response for us to say is, here I am. Mm-hmm. Here I am, Lord. I'll do whatever you ask. And so they set out from Beersheba and uh, they head down to Egypt. And this is a chance now for Moses is writing this and he lists all the like legitimate children of Jacob. Of Jacob, yeah. And what you get to after you work through all the wives, so he has four wives, mm-hmm. and he's even counting. He's not counting his sons' wives as his inventory, you know, as his blessing, as his people, and he's just counting the kids. and And I think he even counts some of the girls. Yeah, the children he, like he, Dinah. He counts and, his kids, his direct kids, and then his grandkids. Right. And so after we're thinking. He's about 130 years old at this point when Mm -hmm. he's going down to Egypt. And at this point, he has 70 actual descendants. Right. 
which is crazy to think about because Abraham lived to be about 180. Mm-hmm. Isaac lived to be 170. Right. And so you figure this is, we're well into almost 200 years. Yeah. A little over 200 years at this point. That's like American history. Right. So like imagine, <laughs> it's not that far, but it's far enough to go like in 1776, my great, great grandfather, God promised to create a huge nation. Right. Cool. Let's take an inventory. What do we have? We have 70, <laughs> which I have to say at this point, it makes me laugh because as a person who's planted a church after seven, eight years, I'm like, oh God, we only have 70. <laughs> and I realize, oh, you know what? We're not doing too bad. Right. If uh, the people of God have 70 going into Egypt, that's all right. And what you'll find though is uh, God's bringing them into Egypt to, and this is a time of blessing. This is a time of protection. And it's really to incubate the people and turn them into a nation. Because while they're in Egypt, not only will they be near the Nile, they'll be near um, food, they'll be protected by Egypt because they're blessing, uh, they're going to be blessing Egypt. So for, we know the, the rest of the story. So for 400 years, God will be cultivating and creating the nation that he promised to Abraham a couple hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So chapter 47. Uh, yeah, so uh, real quick, though, at the end yeah. of chapter 46, we see this oh, sweet yes. scene of Jacob and Joseph being finally reunited. And uh, Jacob is like, I can now die. Like, I can die in peace now right. that I've seen your face. Reunited. And I'll let you finish the song. Feels so good. You probably didn't know that. Good. Okay. Awesome. Moving on. Yeah, and so the last bit of information is Joseph's like, hey guys, now that you're bowing down to me and all my dreams came true, um, you should know something. You're going to be shepherds in Egypt. And Egyptians hate shepherds. Right. (laughs) But you're totally blessed because you're under me. Mm -hmm. And I have blessed all of Egypt. I'm in control of all of Egypt. So for the sake of one man, me, you will be safe. And so what you do is you go before Pharaoh and you say to him, we are shepherds and we'd like to live in Goshen Mm -hmm. because this is where you keep all your sheep and all these uh, things you don't want to touch. We will do it. And it's in chapter 47 then that Israel or Jacob now is Israel. So when I refer to Israel, I'm referring to who was formerly known as the artist formerly known as Jacob. Cool. And uh, Israel blesses Pharaoh. It's a crazy scene yeah, where this really little cool. guy with 70 people in his family the blesses the pharaoh. That right. Egyptians do not like to uh, interact with, but the pharaoh receives his blessing. Right. He does it twice. And, uh, and the idea is he just gives his blessing. And remember, these are the people of God who carry the blessing of God, the promise of God. And wherever we walk, wherever we go, if we pronounce the blessing of God on a place, it's real. And so um, regardless of our status, regardless if we're just poor shepherd servants, um, it reminds me too of the disciples when they go and they bless, bless a house or withhold the blessing. And you see Jacob saying, I'm blessing you, Pharaoh. I'm praising God for this. Um, uh, this is an interesting yeah. thing that I just connected. So one of the things that Pharaoh s- says yeah. is he says, well, if they're so good at shepherding, then allow them to take care of my livestock. Any livestock that is yeah. the pharaohs, they will take care of. So this is going to play in. This is an interesting connection That's to true. what's about to happen and then later in, in this next part of the story. Because right. the next part of the story 
is Joseph managing the remaining years of the famine. Yeah, because there's, uh, there's five years? There's five years left. left. Okay, or three years. No, there's five there's years five left. Five years, yeah. And so, yeah, because now you have the rest of the story is Joseph saving the world. Mm-hmm. So the whole known world is coming to him saying, we're starving, and he takes their livestock. Yeah, so, well, at year three, they're out of money. Yeah. And so they're like, well, we're going to starve. And Joseph goes, well, give me all your livestock. And the livestock now belongs to the Pharaoh. So who takes care of the Pharaoh's livestock? Israel's descendants. Israel. So now Israel's taking care of all the livestock of Egypt. It's it's pretty great. Then the next year comes back around. They're like, we're still dying here. And Joseph says, give me your land. Right. And so they end up doing like a sharecropping system. Yeah. So they get the land. So now Pharaoh owns all the land. He didn't own. Previously, people owned land. Pharaoh was like this religious king kind of figure, but now he is buying up all the land and only asking for one fifth of the of the return. Of the return of whatever the land yields. Right. Which is actually merciful because in typically in sharecropping it's one third. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a merciful deal. The people are happy. But then they're still starving because there's a famine. So they've given up their land. They're still needing Egypt to give them food. And then Joseph says, Well how about you all work for Pharaoh. You're yeah, all servants. You're, you're now all technically Pharaoh's servants. Right. So this is like all the area of Canaan, all the surrounding areas of Egypt, and everyone's working for Pharaoh now. <laughs> so um, Pharaoh loves Joseph. Yeah. I mean, Joseph has saved the world. He saved the kingdom of Egypt. He's blessing everything he touches. And at the end of chapter 47, you have Joseph is officially the one who gets the blessing because Daddy Jacob starts talking about what uh, Isaac talked to him about and what Abraham talked to Isaac about, which is bury me in Canaan. Mm. You have to bury mm-hmm. me in the promised land. I know it's a pain, but we own a piece of the promised land at Mac- Machpelah. Yep. Go up there and bury me there with the fathers. This is what you do. And so Joseph says, sure, Dad. I mean, he respects him, and he's like, I will do what you have said. And, and then you have Jacob going, kind of grabbing him, going, swear to me. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So not sure what that means. Oh, yeah. He's, 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 just he's actually, no, he's bowing to Joseph and saying thank you. And Joseph's authority. So this is, again, a, 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 another fulfillment of his dream that his oh, father would bow to him. Oh, thank you for connecting that for me. Um, so now, yeah, you have Jacob now, the Jacob, stars that Jacob are going to bow. is bowing oh. down to Joseph saying, I am under... I am in your hands. My life, my awesome. body is in your hands. And also, we also get, uh, at this point, Jacob is 147 years. Yes. He was 130. So he got 17 years in Egypt, that which was, is... Yeah, that was the connection I made mm-hmm. while reading this today. Was 17, He was 17 years old when he was thrown in a pit, dead, and then he got... At the end of Jacob's life, he got 17 years back with his son, yeah. Joseph. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So again, it smacks of the resurrection, the giving back. What was dead is given back, mm-hmm. and it's better. It's better. When, this time, he's ruling and saving them. Because like, his son can now take care of him. And this is his favorite wife. This is Rachel's son, firstborn yeah. son, the one who uh, was suppo- is going to carry the blessing. So naturally, then, we move into chapter 48. And, um, and this is where Jacob wants to bless. He wants to pass on the blessing. 
Yeah, he wants to pass on the blessing to Joseph, and he puts it on Joseph's two sons, which is a way of Jacob kind of guaranteeing that the tribe of Joseph, because there isn't a tribe of Joseph, it's the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. Right. That's what's uh, so interesting. The tribe of Joseph, there, like him giving it to the two sons, now ensures that the tribe of Joseph as a whole ends up getting a double portion of the promised land nice. because a portion of the land goes to his two sons. Well, there's been like a lack, well, I was going to say a lack of drama, but actually, no, that's wrong. You know, when Isaac was going to be the blessed one, there was drama with Ishmael. Mm-hmm. When Jacob wanted to get the blessing, there's drama with Esau. And then I guess the drama with Joseph was with all the brothers. And so you're like, okay, this is going to be simply passed on to Joseph. But there's a little bit of drama left. Right. So he, so Jacob does two amazing things here. He adopts Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two sons, as his two sons. And now these are sons born from the priestess daughter of On, you know, yeah. some kind of pagan priestess in yeah. Egypt that so, Joseph had to marry, you know. Right. So he adopts them and he says... Ephraim and Manasseh will be to me as Reuben and Simeon. So it's kind of confusing for a moment because like we're like, okay, he'll just they'll just be like his sons. No, he's saying Ephraim and Manasseh will be my two oldest sons. They will be considered my firstborn sons. That's in re- crazy. In, in place of Reuben and Simeon. That's yeah. what he's saying there. Because Reuben and Simeon have kind of sold their birthrights. Yeah, they've they've done some things that Joseph, Jacob is not happy with. So... That's already kind of a big deal. And then Joseph lines up. Manasseh's the older one. Ephraim's the younger one. So he lines them up. So Manasseh will be on Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim will be on Jacob's left hand. And Jacob does the classic switcheroo. Yeah. Jacob crosses his hands and puts his right hand, which is where you get the blessing, mm-hmm. on the younger. He puts it on Ephraim. 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 And, uh, and then you have Joseph, who's like, Dad... You're old. You're a little bit blind. You, you, you're messing up the blessing. You're supposed to give mm-hmm. it to the, the older one. Manasseh is the older one. What are you doing? And there's this great line in chapter, chapter 48, verse 19, where you have Jacob saying, uh, his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. <laughs> he'll also become a people, and he'll, he'll be great. But the younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed the younger, and he, he pronounces the blessing on the younger, which this is an important theme because Jacob remembers he's the younger. Right. Isaac uh, remembers he's the younger to Ishmael. But what does it all mean? Well, we find out what it means when Christ comes because he's the second Adam. He's the younger brother. You have Adam, and we're all in line of Adam, and that we get the inheritance of death. We get the inheritance of disobedience and being disconnected from God and the land and each other. But the younger will be blessed, and the older will serve the younger. And so you see these themes playing out uh, early on in the scriptures where we are going to serve the younger brother who is Jesus Christ. Right. It's pretty great. And so the major, major themes going on today in Genesis are God keeps his promise. He adopts, and you can even see where, where uh, Israel adopts these two boys as how we are adopted right. and brought yeah, in. that's true. Though we don't deserve it, we're not even in the line. Um, we don't have the right moms at all. But 
by the, for the sake of one man, Joseph, good, we like are that. brought in and adopted and receive the blessing of as though we're the firstborn, which is what happens at our baptism. We receive the inheritance of God as though we are Christ. And you see the theme, God keeps his promise. He adopts, but he blesses the nations for the sake of one man. Yeah. There it is. I mean, it's all in the Old Testament. Pretty great. It's great. That concludes our Old Testament reading. Did we even say that we were doing Old Testament reading Genesis 45 to Yeah, it was just so long ago. Okay. Cool. Now we're doing uh, New New Testament. Testament. Our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 16 through verse, or chapter 17, verse 13. All right. Getting into it. We are still following the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And uh, in 16, there's, there's going to be a shift of Jesus as a better king. Um, but that shift in between these conversations, so he just fed the 4,000, and what kind of king is Jesus? Now we're moving in this transitional time where he has to explain to the disciples, here's the deal with the Pharisees. Yeah. They are essentially older brothers who think they deserve the, the firstborn rights and can't understand why God wants to give it to the younger, weaker one. Mm-hmm. And so he says, beware, because they're always looking for signs. The older okay. brother's going, show me. Show me that you're, really, that you're really the son of God. Yeah, they're doing almost the thing that Satan did to them, to right. Jesus in the desert. And prove to us who you really are, even though Jesus has already done enough to prove who he is. <laughs> right. And then, so Jesus, again, is a, a brilliant politician mm-hmm. and knows their language. And he goes... You know, it's crazy that you guys understand the weather. I don't know, you wake up. Uh, yeah. A lot of times the first thing I do is I wake up and I check the weather. Right. Because it's going to affect my decisions. You know, am I going to ride a motorcycle today? What am I going to do? And these guys could understand a sky and what that meant for their crops or for mm-hmm. whatever. But they couldn't see Jesus healing a blind man and figure that out. Right. They're still demanding a sign. And so um, he, it's so crazy how Jesus, again calls upon the sign of Jonah. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I gave you the sign of Jonah. There's a miracle of repentance, and I'm doing that for Jonah. Jonah's like rebelling, but I still used him, saved him right. from death. That's a sign. If you can't handle that sign, then you can't handle me. And so then he says to his uh, disciples, and in in following through chapter 16, he's like, um, well, actually the disciples, it's almost comical. They reached the other side of some body of water, and uh, they'd Galilee. forgotten to, of Galilee, and they forgot to bring bread. And they're like, "We forgot to bring the bread." And this is after Jesus has fed five thousand <laughs> and yeah. fed four thousand. Yeah. But this is before we judge them. This is what we do, right? Yes. All God's the time. provided. Oh, I can't believe it! And then the next day, we're like, "Why is everything bad happening? Nothing's yeah. going right." Yeah, because there's always like testing because we live in a broken world. And so Jesus doesn't even respond to their need for bread. He just gets right into it. He says, you know what? Watch out. You guys need to watch out the leaven of the Pharisees. Like their doubt will just germinate inside your brain. Accusation and doubt is the natural momentum of this world. And it will just permeate your whole little loaf of your brain. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wait, wait, are you mad because we didn't bring bread? Well, they begin to, yeah, they go, wait, we brought no bread. (laughs) They literally like missed it. They're like, we didn't bring, and Jesus says a great phrase, oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? 
it's kind of what happens in Christian circles. Like, why are you guys, you're asking all the wrong questions. Right. Why are you even talking about literal bread right now? Like the bread of life is with you. Right. Do you not remember how I literally provided bread for well, 5,000 and 4,000 people? And that's what he says. <laughs> and he goes, do you guys not remember that? And this is just Jesus being like a normal, straight up, honest dude. <laughs> like, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the, Fa- the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's like, he just restates it. If you guys don't get it, I'm going to let you simmer in it and grow up. Right. Like, man. And then it says, they, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of Pharisees. Like, oh, it's not uh, about bread. Oh, parables. We're oh. starting to get them. Yeah, slowly. And this is where um, it, it begs the question. So who do you guys think I am? Mm-hmm. And that's what the transition is. Jesus just announced his kingdom. He just proved it by his actions. He's been speaking it. And now he gets time alone with his followers. And who do you guys say that I am? Because right. Yeah, he asks, actually, who do other people say, oh, yeah. say that I am? Good call. Who do people say that I am? And they answer, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And this is where Jesus says to them, wait, but who do you say that I am? Because mm-hmm. their answers are kind of like, it's like every question in church. Right. You don't know. You want to say Jesus is the answer, but you're not sure. Like, who died on your cross for your sins? And it's always like, um... Does anybody know what, I mean, Jesus? Jesus? Right, and they're going, I mean, some say John the Baptist, right, but who do you guys think I am? And then Peter, this is known as Peter's confession, Mm -hmm. and it's a glorious moment for Peter, who's the older guy, who speaks on behalf of everybody, Mm -hmm. and he gives a glorious answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So you are the anointed one, you are the Messiah, you are the son of God. And Jesus responds, wow, good job, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he recognizes that this is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. You see it. Right. And you've, it's been given to you from God. Praise God for that confession. But then he does something else. He, Jesus goes on to say, this is what the whole church is going to be built on. Yeah. On confession. This rock of confession. You are the rock that... Right. Well, he said, yeah, Peter, on this rock, I will build yeah, my church. Yeah, the rock, yeah. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so... And Peter's name means rock. rock. He renames him rock, right, yeah. because it's not because Peter's the first pope or anything. It's because Peter makes the first full-fledged confession. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, my movement, Christianity, is not built on proof. It's not built on what you can see and signs. It is built on the confession that this is the Son of God. Mm. That Jesus is, and so um, that's why he goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We call this the keys, and it's given to the apostles, and basically it's the keys of you're forgiven, the doors of heaven are unlocked, I can announce forgiveness on you, or you're locked out. Yeah, it's confession and absolution. And it goes with the two meanings of confession. We confess something we believe, and then we confess our sin. Mm-hmm. And that's what we mean when the church is built on confession. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So when you confess your sin, the doors of heaven are open to you. Mm. If you hold on to them and you don't want to confess, you don't want to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you don't want to confess you're a sinner in need of being saved, we Door. lock the doors for yeah. you. Sorry. Um, but then he tells them, don't, don't tell anybody about this yet. 
And they're like, okay. Okay. It's kind of big news. And Jesus reveals the plan. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to basically be mocked. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he does say, and on the third day, I'll be raised. Oh, yeah. I don't want to forget that. that. He does Just, say, don't worry, I'm going to be raised again to life. Right. And right after Peter's confession, I call it Peter's confusion. Mm. Because after we have great moments of confession and we get clarity and then we get kind of affirmation from God, like, I understand this Christian life and I'm doing so good. Peter uh, gets one of the harshest rebukes by our Savior uh, recorded. Because mm-hmm. Peter says, no, I'll never let you suffer. It sounds so righteous. It sounds so good. Wow, Peter, you nailed it. Again, <laughs> you're just on a roll, Peter, until Jesus like scratches the record. And he says, he calls Peter Satan. Right. He says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, you are a hindrance a st- or a stumbling block or a stumbling rock. Yes. Which is yeah. interesting. So he's like yeah. playing off of, I just called him Peter, the rock. I was going to build something on you. And, and now, now, yeah. now you're being a stumbling block to me. And the reason you're being a stumbling block is because you're looking at this through your human values instead of divine values. Mm-hmm. What God values is saving the world. What you value is saving your relationship with God right here on earth. Mm-hmm. Saving your own life instead of being a part of a much bigger movement. And, and that's what Jesus, why he rebukes him, um, because that's what Satan was doing in the wilderness to Jesus. He was saying, try and do it your other way. Save right. yourself, and I'll give you these things. Right. And so that's why, um, that's why he would say to Peter, you're acting like Satan in the wilderness. And it's just great. It's so humbling because Peter's like, I just nailed it. I, I just confessed. Anyway, you get it. Um, and then that you have to understand the context, too. This is why Jesus then says, Take up your cross and follow me. You want to save your life, you need to lose it. Mm-hmm. Because he's reacting to the confusion that we face as humans, which is try to apply our human values to divine values. And he's like, look, you." he asked two questions. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole wor- world and forfeits his soul? And the answer is nothing. And what, uh, what could a man give in return for his soul? So Jesus has to reorient us like... Um, this is the most important thing. There's nothing, you can't, uh, it profits you nothing to do all these things in your own strength or get wealth or get comfort, but this is what, this is where you're going to find life. Yeah, you either confess me and my salvation plan or you reject me. Right. And uh, at the end of it, he says, uh, now you're going to all see the kingdom of God start to manifest on earth as it is in heaven. And he's referring to the coming of the Holy, his death and resurrection, mm-hmm. the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the beginning of the church. And the church is who proclaims, we confess Jesus Christ is Lord, therefore unlocking the keys or unlocking the doors to heaven. Mm-hmm. But then um, we get in chapter 17, we're just going to go through verse 13, and I know we're going to wrap this up here, but really um, the question is answered by God himself. Who do you say who do people say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And now God says, here's who I think Jesus is. Yeah. And we this call is, it. Yeah, this is great. I love this. The Mount of Transfiguration. So they go up on a mount. So it's Jesus and his inner circle, which is Peter, James, and John. Yeah. And they go up on top of a mountain and he was transfigured before him, before them. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, 
transfigured. He's like a metamorphosis. Like he turns into something else. Mm-hmm. And what's great about it, it's on a mountain, like Sinai, right? His face shines like Moses' face shone when he came down from meeting with God on the mountain. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the sun and his clothes became white as light. I'm thinking of the cloak of Elisha or some powerful, like he is shining. He's in all his glory. He's completely revealing his divine nature to his inner circle. Right. And in that divine nature, he's able to have a conversation with Moses and Elijah. So Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet, and Jesus, the son of God. And then Peter's like, uh, Lord, it is good that we are here. <laughs> this is amazing. And so his response is, I'm going to make like three altars to the three most amazing yeah. people in the story. Right. And, um, and that's just Peter's kind of reacting. It's, he's, not, he's not held accountable. It's not like he's in trouble for that. But it was, uh, slow down, Peter. Yeah, this mean, isn't where, where we're going to live right, right now. Right. And uh, this is when God then joins in the party. He overshadows them in a bright cloud and he says... Something similar to what he says at Jesus' baptism, but different. Mm -hmm. Tell us what he said. Do you know? Uh, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Boom. Listen to him. Here is the man. Here is the man for the one man for whose sake I will save the world. The one man who I will keep my promise. I will adopt you. I will bless the nations. I will save the earth. Here is the man. He's my son. Mm-hmm. This is who God says Jesus is. And then he says, you better listen to him because he has the words of life. In fact, he is the word of God. Right. Yeah, that's a good connection there. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and then I love how the first thing Jesus says to them is because they, and right. hearing the voice of God, they respond in terror and they fall upon their faces. Exactly. And the first thing Jesus says to them that they have to listen to is rise and have no fear. Rise and have no fear. I love the sermons of Jesus. I've been talking for like 30 minutes now, and he speaks in one sentence, rise and have no fear. That's the whole gospel. Like, you're going to rise from the dead, rise right now, have no fear. I am here, and I am the Son of God. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody this until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So now, like, the idea of resurrection, the divine plan has been made fully known to his disciples. Yeah, to his three. And he's like, don't tell anybody because they're all going to misconstrue it and they're going to ruin it. Yeah. And so it's not, and, and that's like, think of it like a parent. I don't tell my kids everything because mm-hmm. I love them, but sometimes I have good things for them and I don't want to tell them like we're going to Disney tomorrow because something might happen and right. I don't want them to feel So if something happens... So I, it's just a general rule for me. I tell them as we get closer and it looks like, okay, it's, we're actually going to pull this off. Then I'm like, hey, you guys want to go to Disney today? Yeah, let's go. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, don't tell the rest of the world right now because we'll wait. they'll mess it up. Right. They'll lose it. All right. So then he uh, identifies. The last thing is um, he reaffirms because... Again, they just saw Elijah, so the natural question is like, wait, but why did the scriptures say that Elijah had to come before you? Like, did he? And he just reaffirms that, yeah, he did. John was that guy. John was Elijah. He came. And they killed him, (laughs) so they're going to do the same thing to me. They did whatever they wanted to him, yeah. So that's what they did to the Elijah who came back. Right. And they're going to kill the Son of God. Right. So the question is answered there, uh, who is this man? Who do you say that I am? 
God says he's the son of God with whom he's well pleased. Mm -hmm. Listen to him. That concludes New Testament reading. Now we go to the Psalms. Psalm 14. Psalm 14 is a good one. It has a a famous line. Starts off. What does it start off saying, Matt? In verse one, I believe. The fool says in his heart, "There is no God." There it is. Uh, and then it goes on to be like, and here's what else the fool does. Yeah. <laughs> he walks into destruction. Yeah, and then uh, verse two is the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And what he finds is they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. It's good to know that God has under control. Uh, He understands, look, in our own strength, we're going to miss it. Mm -hmm. Um, But flesh and blood have not revealed these things to you, Peter. That God reveals these things to us and his promises and that... And he gives us faith. And that's why the other reading um, for today actually is in Proverbs. It's a very famous proverb. I recommend memorizing this. It's come in, um, it's been a great comfort to me throughout most of my life. Proverb verse 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Nice, man. You did it. Did it. Enjoy the day. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Mm-hmm.